Today's passage is the account of the raising of Lazarus. Jesus has heard that Lazarus is ill. He has intentionally delayed going to see Lazarus and his sisters Martha and Mary. By this point in the account, he knows that Lazarus is dead and he has set out to come to Bethany to meet the sisters and those who are mourning Lazarus. We take up the account as he arrives near Bethany. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Uh, do please keep that passage open as I will be referring to it during the talk.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, send your spirit to enlighten us so that we may grasp the implications of your truth right now. Help me to speak faithfully from your word. Soften our hearts so that we will accept your word and grow as your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our theme this morning is Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Recall that John wrote his gospel that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. In case you need the reference for that, that can be found in John chapter 20, verse 31. Today's passage is arguably the climax of Jesus' revelation of himself as the Messiah, God's anointed King. And I have just two main points today, and they are, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and Jesus demands faith. So my first point is Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and my second point is that Jesus demands faith. Ever since the fall, God has been working out his plan to remove the curse of death and restore his people. Recall the promise of the, uh, of the serpent crusher back in Genesis chapter 3. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. More explicitly, we read about God's promise to abolish death in Isaiah chapter 25 verses 6 to 9. Let me just read those verses now. That's Isaiah 25 verses 6 to 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth, the Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The question up to the time of Jesus' ministry was how? How was God going to destroy death itself? Everyone dies. How will death cease? Jesus brings us the answer. And Jesus indeed is the answer. He tells Martha right there in verses 25 and 26 of our passage. Let me just read those. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's just take a few minutes to unpack these statements by Jesus. They have radical implications which completely turn our lives upside down. So it's worth investing the time to be clear about what they mean. Firstly, Jesus is the resurrection. All people everywhere will rise again on the last day. This is clearly taught throughout scripture and was commonly accepted by many Jews in Jesus' day, in particular the Pharisees. Here, Jesus is teaching us that he is the person who will bring about this general resurrection at the last day. It is his power and it is at his instigation 
that everyone everywhere will rise to face judgment. By itself, this statement underlines the power of the Lord Jesus. But not only this, the Lord Jesus is the life. Recall John chapter 1 verse 4, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus can and does bring life to human beings everywhere. God gives life and breath to everyone and it comes from Jesus Christ. But Jesus goes on, if someone believes in Jesus, that person will live. Even if it looks like they have died, Jesus will ensure that they live and enjoy eternal life. Anyone who lives by believing in Jesus will never die. Apparent physical death in this world is not the reality. The reality is that anyone who believes in Jesus already has eternal life right now. Jesus gives that person eternal life and no one can take it away. It is guaranteed. Well, I hope you can see that these statements change everything. Death is no longer final. It's no longer the last word. For those in Christ, death is just an event which leads us from the physical here and now to eternal life in Christ. Recall the Apostle Paul describing his dilemma in the letter to the Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. When we die, we go to be with Christ, which is far better. But wait, I hear you ask, how do we know Jesus has the authority to do all of this? It's easy to say, but hard to be sure that he has the authority. Well, let's look at the evidence. Let's look at Martha's response, which is there in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Recall also that all of John's Gospel up to now has been focusing on showing that Jesus is the Messiah, God's anointed King. Recall also that Jesus raised Lazarus. His summons to his dead friend Lazarus four days in the tomb was answered as Lazarus came out and was freed from his grave clothes. Remember, when we were looking at John chapter 5, Jesus clearly stated his authority at that point. He does what he sees his father doing. And there in verse 21 of chapter 5 is the clincher. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. He told the Jewish leaders that he gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. He was pleased to give life to Lazarus. So at Jesus' command, Lazarus rises from the tomb, demonstrating, indeed revealing, the power of Jesus to give life. Of course, supremely, the, uh, the elephant in the room in this discussion is the subject of the rest of the Gospel, as John recounts the death of Jesus and his glorious resurrection. Jesus laid down his own life, only to take it up again after three days. His resurrection is the ultimate proof that he is the resurrection and the life. So that's my first point. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Secondly, Jesus demands faith. We see this in our passage just at the end of verse 26. He lays all of this out for Martha and then he asks her, do you believe this? The point of Jesus revealing the truth about himself in this way 
revealing his identity as the Messiah, God's anointed king, is to call people to faith. He offers eternal life to all who will believe and trust in him. Do we believe and trust in him? Now, this is not some academic and dry exercise, some proof in logic which a teacher is painstakingly working through on an interactive whiteboard. No, this is a call to all who hear to believe and trust in Jesus. We also need to look closely at the rest of this eyewitness account. When Mary comes to speak to Jesus, she says the same as Martha did. But notice Jesus' reaction to her and to the Jews who accompanied Mary. Jesus saw Mary weeping and saw the Jews who accompanied her weeping, and he was outraged. The NIV translation misses the force of the sentiment. The word in Greek is embrimaomai, which is only used in this passage and in a few other places in the New Testament. When applied to human beings, it refers to anger, outrage, or emotional indignation. Jesus was angry. But what was he angry at? Yes, he was angry at the sin and brokenness of the world which results in death. Yes, he was angry at the sickness and death which had affected his friend Lazarus. But actually he is about to deal with those by raising Lazarus from the dead. The most credible commentators, and, and I happen to agree with them, I think that Jesus was angry at the unbelief of the people around him. Angry at the unbelief of Martha and Mary. Angry at the unbelief of the Jews whispering about how much Jesus loved Lazarus, but why didn't he stop him from dying? Angry at those who hear his words, but fail to take them to heart and believe in them. Just picture the scene. Here is the author of life, the person who gives life and breath to all of them, standing in front of the people he made and sustains, and they fail to recognise him. They fail to receive his words and, make, and take them seriously. They fail to acknowledge who he is and his power and authority over them. God's Messiah is standing in front of them and they are blissfully ignorant of his identity and his power. Even Martha, although she gave the right answer back in verse 17, and that was, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And yet even Martha, when push comes to shove, and Jesus asks for the stone to be removed, she objects. She says his body's been in there for four days and there's going to be a stench. Jesus demands faith. He is rightly upset when these people, and indeed anyone who knows the truth about him, fails to respond in faith. Unbelief in Jesus is a serious sin. Look at his gentle response to Martha's objections about the smell in verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? And look also at Jesus' prayer just before raising Lazarus. He thanks God for hearing him. He knows that the Father always hears him, but he says this for the benefit of those standing there, so that they may believe that the Father sent Jesus. Jesus demands faith. He requires it. The only proper response to knowing who Jesus is and hearing what he has done is to believe in him 
and to accept the free gift of eternal life which he offers to all who will repent and believe in him. Okay, so now it's time to look at each one of us in the light of this truth. Do we know and believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And be careful as you answer that one. Just pause and think a bit. Don't fall into the trap which Martha fell into by giving a glib answer, the right answer, but not actually believing the full force and all the implications of that answer. It's easy to persuade ourselves that the right answer is true. It's easy to believe in our heads that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but not to know it in our hearts. I think that most of us will have experienced the death of a relative or friend at some point. And sometimes it takes a tough experience like that to bring home to us the seriousness of death and the impact which it has on our world, on our loved ones and on us personally. When faced with death, how do we feel? Are we repulsed, affronted, indignant? Are we hopeless, cast down, afraid? Often the death of someone close to us brings us face to face with our own mortality, the fact that one day we will face death. For those of us who believe and know that Jesus is the resurrection and life, we know that going to be with him is far better. If someone who is in Christ dies, we grieve for them naturally, while those of us who are left behind are sad as we miss the company and friendship of the person who has died, we're glad for our loved one as he or she is in a far better place with Christ. In contrast, when someone who does not know and love the Lord Jesus dies, the situation is more serious. This can and should add urgency to our evangelism. We're dealing here with a topic which is literally a matter of life and death. We should not delay. We need to be clear. We need to be bold. We have a duty to speak the truth in love to a friend or relative who is not in Christ. The kindest thing is to give a timely warning of the situation that they're in. If we speak up and give that timely warning, we're doing the person concerned a favour. We're helping them to see the truth and potentially take action to avoid serious consequences. This doesn't make it easy, but it does help us to see the situation clearly as it really is. Often we can be too scared to say anything. We may worry about what a person will think about us or how they may react. When that is the case, think back to how the Lord Jesus reacted to the unbelief of the sisters and the Jews who accompanied them. Let's not put fear of man ahead of our obligation to share the truth about Jesus with those around us. We have an opportunity before us. Passion for life is coming soon and training is underway. Let's pray for the courage to have frank conversations with those around us, those whom the Lord has given us as friends, colleagues and relatives. Give some thought as to how you will approach the topic of who Jesus is. Prepare and plan ahead. Take some risks so that you can share the eternal life which we enjoy now with others. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Write this truth in our hearts, we pray, and help us to see all the implications clearly. Give us love for those around us, for those who you've called us to befriend and serve in the name of Jesus. That is all our contacts, friends, relatives and colleagues. Help us to be bold as we share the truth about the Lord Jesus with them. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.